big part of me just wants to sit and enjoy that moment of the music. It's so rich and wonderful to just to be drawn into the richness of God's provision for us. God is good. And God's provision is very special. We come to the end of Acts chapter 2. We've been looking, working our way through slowly this uh, wonderful chapter. Much of it has been taken up by Peter's speech after Pentecost, explaining what is going on, bringing a focus to where the person of Jesus is front and centre to God's missional purposes, explaining that the horrors that have just happened in terms of Jesus' betrayal and the corruption and his death and his resurrection is all part of God's plan. It was necessary for the work of salvation, though those who had been uh, complicit in that work were still guilty and responsible. And last week we saw the invitation that this work now is available not just to a small group, but is available to you and your children, those who are gathered there in Jerusalem, the crowds who had gathered, and even to those who are far off. Now Luke steps back from Peter's sermon and he finishes the chapter with a little cameo picture. So what happened next? You know, sometimes when you have a, a movie or a story, they have an epilogue and they move on to see what does this look like now and this having as an outcome of the various events that have happened. And so Luke provides a significant cameo. I started our reflections on this chapter by talking about my observing of a house near Clayton Bay that was being built and how in the space of a week the, the excavations, the foundations, the floor, the walls and last week the roofing was put into place. And there it's, nothing's happened. You know what it's like with trading. Suddenly you get all this energy, then nothing. We saw the foundations of the gospel message. We saw the way in which God is at work in a missional sense in calling those who are to be his people to be part of that mission, to extend that invitation of the promise to all people. And now we see the foundations of the church of all the other bits and pieces that we may add into that foundation, and that varies from one location, one culture, one language to another, there are some core foundations that are essential. Imagine that church is not the point of church. That's the provocative uh, chapter at the start of this book, Imagining Mission with John V. Taylor. Bishop John V. Taylor was a, uh, a missional bishop in, missionary bishop in the 1950s and 60s and went on to head up the Church Missionary Society in the UK. If he looks vaguely familiar to some of us, is because Bishop John V. Taylor happens to be Ben Wood's grandfather. So if you uh, know that distinctive look that Ben Wood has, you can see where he gets it from. <laughs> and the book actually arose when Ben's mother uh, came across a trunk with all the journals of her father. 
as he was speaking at various conferences and handed those journals over to uh, Johnny Baker and Kathy Ross, who then said, this is wonderful material for us to interact with. So the opening page, the opening line, and by the way, this has become our Archbishop's favourite quote, so I'm not saying anything new in this. He, He loves this quote. Imagine that church is not the point of church. Rather, church exists to participate in the healing of all things, the world, its peoples, the planet itself. That is the point. Church is God's people participating in that liberation, a communion in mission. Church is Christ's body prolonging the logic of mission and ministry of Jesus Christ in the world. If you had to, a blank sheet of paper and could design church for that purpose in mind and anything is possible, what would you come up with? They conclude, fresh imagination is required because we seem to have got stuck. You might also agree that we need to leap over the walls that we have created in order to be in the world. If we are to prolong the mission of Christ in the world to the world, then we have put up some barriers, some walls between ourselves and the world at large. And so their book reflects on what does that mean for the church, being the church, And uh, I do recommend the book as a very um, stimulating reading and interaction. This little cameo picture at the end of Luke chapter 2, and and Luke has a number of them at further points in his narratives where he steps back and paints a big picture of what is going on, gives us a picture of the very earliest foundations of the church having heard that sermon of Peter and recognise the Spirit is now at work upon all people, young and old, male and female. What does that look like? Well, the first thing to note is that the church, when they gathered, didn't gather in church buildings. In fact, church buildings didn't exist for hundreds of years. In the period where the church grew the most spectacularly, First two or three hundred years after the time of Jesus, they were not meeting in church buildings. They were largely meeting in homes, sometimes in halls, sometimes in other community spaces. But a big church, and this would have been a big church, would have been about 30 people. Yet God was changing the world through these little communities of the church, these outposts of the church as they gathered in family and neighbours and friends. So as they gathered in homes, what were they doing? There are four things that are named that are absolutely vital to our nourishment as churches. If we starve ourselves of any of these four things, then we will be impacted by it. They devoted themselves. Now, This phrase, they devoted themselves, occurs twice in this passage. In other words, this wasn't an extra that they throw into the mix. 
this was something they recognized as central to their calling as people of God, their calling as disciples of Christ. They devoted themselves to four things. The first is to the apostles' teachings. Now we need to remember at this stage, the New Testament hadn't been written. Luke is describing a period before the first of the letters were, were being written, probably letter of James, perhaps one of Paul's early letters of Galatians or one of the others of that nature. But that's still what decades away. But they wanted to learn more about Jesus and Jesus had set aside witnesses to his public ministry and to his private teaching. So the word was getting around. I heard him say this, I heard Jesus say that. Someone else told me they were there and this is what they said. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And in particular, what is God doing through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? They were devoted to it. They wanted to learn more. Secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship. Now, those of you who know me from my earlier incarnation at St. Matthew's would know my fondness of a word koinonia. You would have a koinonia Sunday every year. It's another of those words that there is no adequate English translation, no single word. It's a basket of terms. But koinonia, this fellowship, means community, to the community of the church. It means association. We know each other. We work together. We're committed. It means partnership in the mission of God. It means communion with God. The same word is used for all those aspects. They devoted themselves to the community of the church being the church. And that was the second vital pillar. Thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. At this stage, it's talking about the Lord's Supper. They broke the bread, they shared the cup, and they remembered Christ's death and how the promises of God are conveyed through the, the bread and the cup. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer of engaging with God, listening to God, asking God, and all that goes with engaging with God. Those were the four core elements that they committed themselves to. So having devoted themselves to those four things that would nourish them and build them up and motivate them, they also recognised that these gatherings were special. Not just as the gathering in the homes, but in the wholeness of their lives. They're a community who day by day interacted with each other. But that was all conveyed by these core elements as they would come together. So Luke continues, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. That's a continuation of the ministry of Christ. But it's also recognising that to give life to this community needed to recognise that God 
is at work in and through the gathering of his people, this community of faith. Without God, we are just another group who gathers. With God, then we are a unique and a significant gathering. So that's why the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up the habit of meeting together. It's so important to recognize that we are gathered into community. God, God's purposes for mission aren't just an individual task. They are ones that we gather together, we partner in together, and we share. And the signs and wonders that are being performed, the same phrase was used by the way in which Jesus engaged with people in their lives. Now, there were exceptional qualities of that. It wasn't every day. It's why we call them um, things that are miraculous. They're out of the ordinary. Yet at the same time, we recognize that God's presence, the way in which God is interacting, is daily. And it brings about that awe that people engage with God through the people of God when we gather, being the people we're called to be. Now we come to a line that's certainly very challenging. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. In the world of the first church, that was not uncommon. The Qumran community and others would gather. It's very similar to what some monastic orders and some holy orders do. They say that we will now share all that we have. All that I have is now the the possession in common with the community. The principle behind it is that we no longer have a sense of this is mine, but it is God's. And if everything we have is God's, then everything we do with it needs to honour God, to be used as God would have us to use it. Hence the notion of stewardship. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And they all entered into that spirit and recognized all that we have is, is there for us to be the people God is calling us to be. In their context, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, just what that looks like will vary from context to context. But it means that they were mindful of the needs of the world around them. They were not focused in on themselves. They were outward looking and asking, how can we be Christ to this community? How can we be Christ to those around us? How can we meet some of those needs with what God has blessed and trusted to us? That was a vital quality to what it means to be church. Every day, the word devotion comes back again. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. The temple actually wasn't designed to be a gathering point, at least the temple itself. In fact, there were limitations of who could go into the temple itself. But the outer precincts, the forecourts, was where people gathered. They went where people gathered, which was in the forecourts of the temple. And there they engaged in the wider community. They were in that public space and named themselves as followers of Jesus in that space. One of the challenges through that period of COVID, which impacted on our ability to meet, 
was to ask ourselves, how can we be church if we can't come to St Matthew's? Can't come into a church, wherever we may be. Can we still be church? And that was a rediscovery that our community still exists. We still can engage with each other. We can still be in contact to meet each other's needs and ask ourselves in our neighbourhood how we can help and assist. We are living in a day and age that it's hard to get a perspective on when we're in the middle of it. But could be one of the most profound rediscoveries of what it means to be church. For centuries, church is something that was advertised as a time and a place and come and join us. And the social expectation is that most of the village would come, most of the community would come. That is no longer the case. We're back into the world of the first century where the wider community have their own things that preoccupy them. We are learning that rather than waiting for people to turn up to us, that we need to get better at going out and engaging where people are. And that is why we have events like book club and the community workshop and the film afternoon and picnics and other events where we can go out and invite others to be where people are. There's a reason behind that. That is why Paul has been named, in addition to being an associate lay pastor, as missional music coordinator, using music as a bridge to the wider community, to have events that people can come and enjoy but also participate in so that we use those avenues to make build those bridges with our wider community. And secondly, they broke bread from house to house. That is to say, in this case, this is sharing a meal. They had hospitality for each other. They knew each other. They invited each other, welcomed each other. And it became part of a, a living community. It makes an enormous difference when we take part in a community of people who we know as our brothers and sisters. So they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God for all that God has been working in and through them, for God's provision, the way in which God is showing his grace in and through his people and enjoying the favour of all the people every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As I've been reflecting on this over the past week, part of me is excited. We can't go back to the early church. We can't go back into that space. We're in a different time and place. But there is a rediscovery about how precious it is to be part of the body of Christ, the people of of, uh, those who are gathered in Christ's name. There is a ministry of being joyful, being sincere, praising God. That's a ministry of not cynicism or apathy, but a ministry of enthusiasm and expectation. And to gather together to praise is so rich. I think we discovered that when we came back after the COVID times and realised how precious it is to actually come back into each other's company and to hear the voices of those around us. And recognising that if there is to be any adding of the number, it is the number of the people in the kingdom, but it is the work of God. 
any growth that we look for can come only in and through God at work, in and through us, in his mercy, in his kindness, in his grace. So as I was putting this together last night, those words devoted came back to me. Part of me says yes, but a big part of me challenges in saying, am I truly devoted to this? As something of God. It is that spirit of devotion, I think, that we are rediscovering as we enter into a new season. Here at St. Matthew's and a new season in the life of the church in a rapidly changing world. We are relearning what it means to be church. Suppose church is not the point of church. Suppose being the means, the vessels of God's grace to the wider world is. And how might we do that in God's grace together? Amen.